We're your hosts, Dana and Kara, and this is From the Mouths of Babes. Hey, babes, welcome back to another episode. This week, we are so excited to welcome our new friend, Rebecca Mudrick. She is a health geek turned health coach living in Columbus, Ohio. She's a busy mom of four boys, Jenny's ice cream lover, yoga teacher, and an advocate of sustainable health goals rooted in moderation instead of extremes. She loves helping her clients tackle issues that are holding them back and empowers them to make forward progress in smart, doable ways. But most of all, she loves helping her clients see how they can shift their mindset to shape their lives in extraordinary ways. She is the owner of Shift for Health. And we will link all of her, her website, her Instagram, and, and her email in our show notes today. But Rebecca, thank you so much for joining us. We're so excited to have a chat with you today. Yeah. Thank you so much for having me on. So I would love to start by hearing your story of how you came up with Shift for Health and what your goals are with your organization. Yeah. So one of my dear friends who lives in Ohio with me, she and I were just taking a walk one day and she was super frustrated with some changes that she had been experiencing in her body and her energy was really terrible. Um, And as a yoga teacher, I just had people coming to me all the time for health advice. Um, I should say as a yoga teacher who has been able to maintain a healthy weight after having four children and you know, into my um, early forties, And I didn't really have a great understanding of like the psychology of habit change. So I could give people advice about like, well, you know, you should try eating more whole foods. I didn't have a great understanding of, uh, you know, why it's so hard to actually make changes when we know we'll feel better. And so as I was talking to her about it, we decided we would actually team up as accountability partners. And so we started texting, we set goals with each other. We started texting back and forth every night. She had a set of health goals that she was working on. I had a set of totally different health goals that I was working on. And we figured out that to get, like we made a really, really great team and we both made a lot of forward progress. And so we decided to enroll in health coaching programs and we created a business together called Shift for Health. And the idea was that through small little shifts, that you can make big changes in your life. Um, And a lot of that is by developing a healthy mindset. Um, We're gonna be talking a lot about sabotage today in our conversation. And so much of that conversation revolves around your thinking, your, the thoughts that you have about your situation, the stories you're telling yourself. It's, It's a lot about mindset. So that's why our tagline is shift your mindset, shape your life. And as far as the goals with the business is really to be a reasonable, rational voice in an area that just is so, tends to just go to extremes, right? We have so many health gurus who want you to adopt pretty extreme lifestyle changes that just aren't sustainable. And so our goal with our clients is to really like, empower them to make changes that are appropriate for them that fit into the context of their lives, help them avoid feelings of overwhelm 
and give them the tools that they need to make sustainable changes, but also then to be able to like maintain those changes. Um, so it's a really important mission that we feel really passionate about. Sure. Uh, it, this, this mission of like moderation. Um, and we feel like our voices are really needed in the area of health and wellness. Absolutely. I feel like recently I'm starting to see that as more of the conversation in the sphere of health, but it hasn't been until recently that we've really mm-hmm. started to hear those terms of moderation and sustainability. I think for a long time, health has been a quick fix as far mm-hmm. as like weight loss and things like that. And yeah. so I'm really interested to dive a little deeper in what that actually looks like yeah. for some of your clients and and some of the actual practices that, that you teach and coach with some of your clients. Um, Cause I think a lot of our listeners can benefit um, from that. I think w- something else that's really interesting is I think in your situation, you mentioned, you know, you were coming into your forties and noticing body changes. And I think for women, that's especially hard because our bodies go through lots of different changes through lots of different stages, um, whether that's puberty. And then if you decide to have children and the changes that go along with that, and then menopause and, and things just continue. And so, mm-hmm. um, I would love to start with talking about how you cater, you know, when people start, when they come to you and they say like, okay, I, I want to get started. I have fitness or health goals. And sometimes for people, it's not even losing weight. Maybe it's maintaining weight. Maybe it's just, they want to get stronger. How do you take into account their individual circumstances, their health, um, and some of these changes like hormonal imbalances or things like that, that, that we've mentioned? Yeah. So each client that we work with that first session is all about establishing what their goals are. And we really help clients with a wide variety of issues. We do, everybody, it seems like always wants to lose a little bit of weight, but really it's, I, for most of our clients, um, like we're, we're really not who you come to for aesthetic goals, right? Like Mm -hmm. if you are, are wanting to go win a bikini competition, you're not going to come and hire a coach at shift for health. So people come to us for a wide variety of health issues. But the reality is, is that most of our clients are wanting to lose a little bit of weight. Typically though, the reasons why they're wanting to lose weight is more about how they want to feel in their body. It's not so much about how they want to look. It's about wanting to feel strong and empowered again that you like, we've had clients who have like a hundred pound weight loss that they're working toward, but mostly it's supporting our clients through other goals, like support with chronic illness. We're just like an energetic goal. You know, I, I sit all day. I feel terrible in my body. I want to feel better. I'd also like to lose 10 pounds. And our goal with each of our clients is to help them feel strong and empowered in their body again, to the extent that they are able, given whatever, whatever circumstances that they are in, um, whether they have chronic illness or, um, you get clients who are maybe have a diagnosis of being pre-diabetic. So we're helping them work through those lifestyle changes. And we take them through a general sort of process that begins with understanding like why they want to make changes. Why, what are they not getting in their life that they 
want help with, why are they not able to get that result on their own? But then that process of helping them get that result is very individual and it's very tailored to the unique circumstances of that particular client. Uh, we work really hard to avoid overwhelm. We like to, we have to rein our clients in at the beginning and help them understand like what is an appropriate, you know, what are appropriate size goals to set in the beginning. Mm -hmm. And then we also really have to push back a lot. Like, you know, is that realistic? Is that doable? Is that sustainable? We kind of become like a, a little bit of a sounding board for them. Um, it's all about education. It's all about helping them understand like what can actually fit into the context of their life versus like an idealized version of their life. And then kind of break down their broader goals for them and really small doable sub goals that they can manage in the week ahead. I love that. That's really interesting as you talk about that, because I think a lot of the time when we think of goal setting, it unfortunately is very idealized. It's like, oh, mm -hmm. I would love for my life to look like this. And then, you know, like that's why New Year's resolutions never really go very far past January because then it's, it doesn't fit into uh, the actual grind of our lives. Yeah. Um, and so I, I, I just think that that's great that you take that approach where, okay, let's actually figure out what is sustainable and what is going to fit into your lifestyle. Granted, there will be things that have to change, but there has to be kind of like this balance. Yeah. Absolutely. You can't go from zero to a hundred in one day. You can't go from a complete sedentary lifestyle to I'm going to run a marathon every day, or I'm going to go even go to the gym for two hours every day. Like that's, you can't, you know, I, yeah, no one can and, do that. That's, that hurts. <laughs> well, and to give you an example is, you know, if I have a client who is wanting to become a person who prioritizes their health and their fitness, um, and they want to eventually get to be a person who goes to the gym four or five days a week, we will start with a goal that is like, I will exercise one day this week for any amount of time. Hmm. And then we talk about like exactly when that's going to happen, where it's going to happen, who it's going to happen with. We rehearse like what, you know, roadblocks could get in the way, how they're going to handle those things. And, and what's really awesome about setting like teeny tiny little sub goals is that you start to build confidence in your ability to um, do the things you say you're going to do for yourself. Right. Um, typically my approach with these little sub goals is, you know, let's say that a client has a goal to lose 10 pounds, just cause that's an easy thing to talk about. Um, is I'll kind of look at all the different ways, all the different components that could make that weight loss happen. And then I step back, you know, after having talked to my client about, you know, what's your daily life like, what are your biggest roadblocks? What are, you know, what are the things that are getting in the way of you achieving this? I step back as the coach and I look and see, okay, what is the smallest sub goal that we can start with that will make the biggest impact? And that's always the question I'm asking. What is the teeniest, tiniest amount that this client can engage with this process, but have the biggest benefit from. And the hope is, is to avoid overwhelm 
build that momentum, that confidence in their ability to do this thing that they've been wanting for themselves, but to also start to like have maybe like a positive energetic effect from the goal. Like maybe we start with trying to get more sleep. And so then their thinking is clearer. They have more energy during the day um, and they can use that extra capacity to then apply to their next goals the next week. It's a really cool process to um, engage in with them and to watch unfold. I, I really like that approach because I think that a lot of coaching, health coaching models are like macro counting or something. And it really is like throwing a baby in a pool. Like they, uh, I feel like a lot of people who need real help a real partner don't even have like a foundation of like basic balanced nutrition um I find with my dental patients often they'll say things like oh yeah I have the diabetes and they just told me to stop (laughs) drinking soda if I just you know if I just stop drinking soda then I'm good and it's like but I can still eat, you know, just maybe not the candy, but don't worry. I can still have the pizza every day. And it's like, oh, we, we have to go like, let's sugars and carbohydrates are the same thing, you know? And so I really like the, like really tiny micro Mm -hmm. steps instead of being like, oh, here's all your macros have at it. Like, you know, what a carbohydrate and a protein are don't go. (laughs) But I, but I think kind of what Rebecca is mentioning too, that I really appreciate is that it's all part of this bigger picture where your health is more than just like what you're eating and whether or not you're consuming pizza. Because I think, I I think as we've talked about, like when it comes to extremes with diet culture is that we've restricted ourselves. So where it's like, you can't have those things at all because that's just Mm -hmm. not healthy. But I think as you said earlier, Rebecca, it's about moderation it's about more than just food. It's about our health of our minds and how that's contributing to how we view ourselves, our energy. Um, but one other thing that I thought was interesting that you mentioned is because I've never thought about food in this way, but I saw that one of the ideas that you um, provide and talk about with your clients is you discuss what food sustains you versus food that depletes you. And when I've thought about my consumption of food, I've never thought about it that way. Um, So can you give us an idea of what that actually looks like? Um, An example of maybe for you personally of a food that sustains you versus a food that you've noticed depletes you? Yeah. So food is going to have an energetic effect on your body, right? All food is going to have some kind of effect. Um, you know, the calories of any food are going to sustain your body and help you be able to function, but whole foods and by a whole food, I'm, I mean like something that has grown directly in the ground or has, has a mother, right? Whole foods tend to, for most people, leave them feeling uh, more energized, clear, have like that brain fog that can come, like will go away. Um, they'll feel lighter in their body. They won't feel like they have that afternoon slump. It just has a much different energetic effect than like eating an entire package of Oreos. 
And so we encourage our clients to just get really curious. Like, how yeah. do you feel after you eat certain foods? Um, my goal for myself personally is to try and aim for like 70% whole or minimally processed foods. And by minimally processed, I mean foods that are made out of whole foods ingredients. So like, um, for example, like pasta is made from, you know, you've got the wheat grain that's been processed into flour that's been combined with the ingredients to make pasta, right? Mm -hmm. um, a lot of minimally processed foods will have highly processed counterparts. So if you think of like two different loaves of bread, you might have a loaf of homemade bread that has like five ingredients that you have in your cupboard versus like a wonder bread that's gonna have um, uh, preservatives and things like that. Um, and then you have just the like highly processed foods. We work really hard to not moralize any of those choices mm -hmm. for our clients. Like there are absolutely totally legitimate reasons to be eating processed foods. Sure. There are, but if you, if your goal is to feel better in your body, then it's important to just get really curious and start identifying, like, how do you feel after eating whole foods versus minimally processed foods versus highly processed foods, recognizing that we're always going to want to eat processed foods, right? Um, so my, um, back to my goal for myself, my goal is to, is to eat about 70 to 80% whole or minimally processed foods, and then 20 to 30% of processed foods. I love, love, love like bitter green juice. I also love, love, love diet Coke. <laughs> so I intentionally like make choices where I'm like, okay, I'm not going to choose to eat this processed thing because I would rather, because I know I'm going to have a diet Coke today. And, and I really want to try and maintain this foundation of whole foods so that I stay feeling really good in my body. Today, I was running errands at lunchtime and I, I hadn't had lunch. I was hungry and I walked past my favorite ice cream shop, Jenny's ice cream, mm -hmm. and it had just opened. The doors were open. They were cooking their waffle cones oh. and the smell, I'm starving, right? I'm so <laughs> hungry. The smell was so amazing. And my initial thought was like, oh, you should treat yourself to a scoop of Jenny's ice cream, which I have no problem doing. Like, um, I love Jenny's ice cream. I am happy to eat it whenever I feel like eating it. However, I paused and I thought there is no scenario in which I am going to feel great after eating this scoop of ice cream today. Like on an empty stomach, I have really sensitive blood sugar. I knew that if I indulged in that ice cream, it was not going to be like self-care. It was actually going to be destructive yeah. in a way because it was going to leave me feeling really terrible. Vegetables for me are like my biggest feel good sort of food category. If I am under a lot of stress, I really work hard to support my body by eating a lot of vegetables uh, because I just feel so much better when I do. And I also happen to just really like how they taste. I make a lot of soups with lots of veggies. I make enormous salads. I love food. I love eating a lot of food. I love making a big salad that takes me like a half an hour to eat. <laughs> and then I feel really good afterwards. So just getting really curious, 
and recognizing that it's totally fine to like eat foods that might not make you feel the best, but to maybe eat those foods in moderation or maybe eat them in smaller quantities and to combine them with foods that are going to make you feel good to kind of lessen the effect of not feeling so great. Yeah, that makes sense. Well, and I think too, you've kind of almost, almost established this like mindfulness and intuitive Mm -hmm. eating Mm -hmm. so that um, you're thinking about those things and it's not just a like gut reaction or it's not just a excuse of self-care, but it's actually a calculated decision of like, okay, I'm going to make this choice. I'm mindful of why I'm making this choice. Um, or I'm mindful of why I'm not because I'm curious and understanding the way that food responds to my, my body. Mm-hmm. I like Such that a lot. Yeah. Body awareness. Like I think, I think that's really hard for people, especially when they've eaten a very, um, on like the stuff their body doesn't like, like an inflammatory foods, foods they have pretty, mm-hmm. you know, high um, intolerances to for so long. Like I remember, um, right before I started to have, like have kids, I went into a naturopathic doctor and was like, I need all the blood work done. She's like, Oh, let's do food allergy testing. I'm like, I don't have food allergies, you know? And we did it. And she was like, Oh, you're like really, really sensitive to bananas and pineapples and all these other things. I'm like, those are all the things I love, you know? (laughs) And as soon as I cut them out, when I did reintroduce them, I realized like, oh my gosh, my hands swell like the next day after having bananas or whatever. And I, I was never that aware, you know, I was eating bananas every day, throwing them into a protein drink, you know? And, but it took like someone guiding me and taking a full step back to realize like, oh, wow, my, I need to re in, in retune myself to my own body and how I'm feeling. So that's, yeah. That's cool. So we, I work with all of my clients on mindfulness through a bunch of different sort of modalities, right? Like you mm-hmm. can um, apply mindfulness in a lot of different ways, but one of the reasons why I feel like it's so important is because when I'm working with clients, we're working on two different things simultaneously. We're working toward their goal, whatever that is. Mm -hmm. But then we're also working toward becoming the kind of person who can maintain that goal like happily for the rest of their lives, right? That they can be happy and healthy and satisfied as that person who is capable of maintaining this goal. And for so many people, mindfulness is just a huge part of that, right? Like understanding like, when am I actually satisfied at the end of this meal? Mm. How does this food actually make me feel? Mindfulness for like stress relief, for, you know, as a meditation that can have um, so many benefits um, in so many different ways, right? So we do a lot of mindfulness training. Um, I do with my clients and uh, which I think, you know, I'm just comfortable with, with my yoga background, but I find that it's just a really, important puzzle piece in terms of long-term maintenance when it comes to health and wellness goals. Absolutely. Well, and I think too, because food for some people can be a very numbing thing. I'm like, as we're having this conversation, I'm like, okay, when have I used food to numb? And when I haven't been in touch with how food has made me feel and I'm like, okay, well, when I was a serving, when I was serving a mission for my church, I gained like 30 or 40 pounds and I used food 
it was kind of like a mechanism to numb and to cope with stress. And I didn't even realize that, you know, until I, you know, 40 pounds heavier. And, um, and I think a lot of people probably can relate to that. Um, I know a lot of people who struggle with food addictions as well. Um, but I know that that can also play a role in self self-sabotage, um, which I know that you guys talk about that in your coaching model a lot and how that affects the results of your goals and just the journey altogether. So can you introduce and tell us more about how self-sabotage comes into play, um, with some of your clients and with health goals in general? Yeah, absolutely. So, you know, sabotage can come either externally, which is, you know, maybe pressure from your family or friends or internally, which would be self-sabotage. And what I find with my clients is that self-sabotage is really the thing that we bump up against the most. It's pretty rare that I have a client who um, has family or friends who aren't supportive Mm -hmm. of their health goals. Um, But the reason, well, there are a bunch of reasons why we can sabotage, but um, one of the main reasons is because our brain likes to maintain the status quo. uh, We have kind of this primitive part of our brain called the amygdala. And that primitive part of our brain is tasked with like keeping us alive. And it doesn't really care if our current habits are like terrible habits, if they're not serving us well, clearly they haven't killed us yet because we're still alive. So, (laughs) so that primitive part of our brain is, is fine with, with the status quo. It's fine with those habits that we are trying to overcome or, but then we have this more complex thinking part of our brain, our frontal lobe. And that's the part of our brain that is like desiring personal development and growth. And so we tap into that part of our brain when we set goals for ourselves. but an interesting thing happens. And that is like when the novelty starts to wear off, like that initial enthusiasm starts to wear off. We start like feeling this pull um, back into our own, um, our old patterns and habits. And, and the brain is really sneaky. Mm -hmm. And so it's not like, like it's sneaky the way that this shows up. Um, but there are definitely some kind of overarching patterns. So like we have clients who like something, something always comes up, like they're always too busy. Um, and so we have to call them out on it. Like, you know, okay, you know, (laughs) you're paying me money every month and you have established that like, you really want these goals for yourself and you've established why you want them for, for yourself. Like, you know, you this is sabotage and let's figure out how we can, you know, stop it from happening the next time. Cause you're not too busy. Like you can get this done. Yeah. So something always seems more important or I'm too busy is a really common way to sabotage. Um, if you think about like the ways in which we procrastinate too, right? Like if I have a, a something that I don't want to do, it's amazing how all of a sudden, like everything else on my to-do list will be more important. Yeah. <laughs> If I'm not in the mood to work out, it's like suddenly the dishes have to get done really urgently and the laundry needs to get put in. And um, so you can see how that kind of shows up casually in your life, or maybe even um, in like profound ways that impact you a lot. Um, 
Another thing, and this one has shown up for me in my own life is desiring acceptance, like doing things that you don't, that aren't in alignment with your goals because you want to please other people. Like I remember going to a church activity. My friend was in charge of it. I had been in charge of activities in the past and I knew how much time and effort and energy she spent um, making this activity really beautiful. I was not hungry. I did not want any dessert. I totally like filled my plate with all of her delicious food because I wanted her to feel loved and appreciated. Um, if I was uh, coaching a client through that scenario, we would have talked about all the alternative ways that we could have helped her feel loved and appreciated while also um, that would have allowed the client to still be in alignment with their goal, right? Like my brain is trying to tell me the only way that you can let her know that you love and appreciate this effort that she put into this activity is by eating all the delicious food she made. And that's my brain's way of like trying to like pull me back to this mode of eating whatever I want, whenever I want, right? But the reality is, is that there are lots of ways that I could have helped her feel loved and appreciated. So that's a, that's a big one, desiring acceptance. Um, so that could look like, you know, yes, I'll order another drink with you, you know, for our kids, like, yes, I will sacrifice my workout in order to run your forgotten lunch to school for you or help you clean your room or whatever. You are giving up what you want for yourself in order to please someone else. Another big one that comes up is rewarding positive behavior with negative behavior. So this idea of like, I've been so good lately. I've worked so hard on my goals. And so now I'm going to celebrate by engaging in behavior that is destructive in terms of my goals, right? Like mm -hmm. I've eaten whole foods all week. So now I'm going to literally make myself physically sick by eating like an entire package of Oreos in one sitting and the entire bag of chocolate chips. So we like to reward ourselves for positive behavior with negative behavior. And then I think probably the biggest one, and you touched on this already, Dana, is soothing or numbing negative feelings with food. And in both just my work and in life, I feel like we, we create so many problems for ourselves when we don't learn how to process big feelings in mm -hmm. helpful ways. And so for each of our clients, we have them come up with what my friend and therapist, Cher Anderton calls a feel good plan. And she worked as a school counselor for a lot of years. So she calls it a feel good plan for all of her little elementary school students. I would love to think of like a more grown up way to, <laughs> to talk about it, but I haven't thought of a good one yet. But a feel good plan is essentially a list of things that you can say to yourself, of things that you can do that will help you feel better in the moment in ways that are actually healthy and constructive you know, numbing ourselves with food isn't actually helping us solve our problem, right? Um, taking long, deep breaths will have a, you know, will help to calm us down. A positive self-talk, like words of encouragement are always super helpful. For me, I love taking walks that will always help to like soothe whatever needs soothing. What's on my feel-good list is definitely going to be different than what might be on like either of yours. Sure. Um, 
but the important thing is figuring out like what things actually help you process negative emotions. My friend, who's a therapist, she says on everybody's list should be deep breaths and positive self-talk. Um, and then never ever on your list is any kind of like food or substance or um, screens. Hmm. So screens are typically a numbing device also. Yeah. So, so other ideas would be like journaling, talking to a trusted friend, you know, having a kitchen dance party to your favorite music or just listening to your favorite music. Um, movement typically can help people like work through feelings, but everybody's list is going to look a little bit different. And the important thing is to know like what works for you. Mm -hmm. I was going through a really difficult time a few years ago. I had a kid who was like very, very chronically ill. It was unexpected. We didn't have a diagnosis. He was like completely bedridden. Hmm. It was really scary. And um, I was in my health coaching program at the time. And as part of my program, I got to go, I got to have health coach and it was a super fun experience. Um, but I was talking to her and I said, I have literally been living off of chocolate and diet Coke for the last week. And I feel so terrible, hmm. but I like, that's all I want to eat. And so she had me like pause and take some deep breaths and think about like, what need was I fulfilling? Like, what was the positive intention behind me just living off of chocolate and diet Coke? Mm -hmm. Because her theory, and I think that she's correct, is that um, typically numbing through food is, is like the best way that we know how to solve a problem in the moment. And so when I sat and like thought about what the positive intention was behind my eating chocolate and diet Coke was that I needed to be soothed. I was mm -hmm. really distraught. And once I realized that like, I just, I needed to be soothed. I needed, I needed to be calmed. Then it was like, I just completely softened toward myself inside. I had so much like loving kindness and compassion for myself. And suddenly it wasn't something that was like, what is wrong with me? Like, why can't I get my act together? Like, I feel terrible, but I just can't stop. Suddenly it was like, oh, I need to like call my mom and tell her how I'm feeling. And I need to cook some vegetables for myself. And I just need to like love on myself for a little while because I'm struggling. What we a do a lot of that shift. I feel like that's yeah. such a powerful shift mm -hmm. and kind of takes the shame out of, of, you know, bad choices, right? Like, you know, as, as you're talking about this and, and I, maybe I shouldn't, that kind of sounds harsh, like bad choices, but just like, we all make poor choices when it comes to our health, instead of, yeah. you know, beating ourselves up about it. It's like acknowledging like, Oh, this is what I actually need. Mm -hmm. And now I'm going to actually do certain things to nourish my, my body and my soul. Yeah. And I think you mentioned like taking guilt and shame out of the equation. I, that's something that we work really hard on. Um, guilt and shame are just never constructive ever. Mm -hmm. um, and so shifting the perspective so that you can like, look at the situation that you were in with kindness and compassion, I think is so helpful but we do a lot of work with clients who um, 
are processing emotion. I had a client once who was working on a really large weight loss and she had lost a significant amount of weight multiple times. And she would always reach like this 50 pound mark, weight loss mark, and then binge, 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 binge until she would be back up to where she started. So we just started talking about like, well, what is the positive intention of this? Why do you have this like desire to eat and eat and eat? And she started to realize like, well, somebody had made a comment about, you know, they, they noticed that I had lost weight and I was looking really good. Like they made a comment about my body. And, you know, as we started to unpack it, we, and kind of peeling back the layers of the onion and like, well, what could the positive intention of that be? What could it be of that? She came to realize that she still had some things that she needed to process from a sexual assault from when she was Mm -hmm. a teenager. And she thought that she had processed it all through therapy and that the minute she drew any attention to her body, that she felt unsafe and she needed to protect Mm -hmm. herself by packing on all this extra weight. And so I sent her back to therapy. (laughs) Like This is way out of my scope. And we continued to work on other aspects of her health, but it's amazing what can unfold when you like, look at what's going on in your life, especially around sabotage with kindness and compassion especially around sabotage as it relates to emotional eating in particular. Other forms of sabotage, maybe sometimes I have to give a little tough love. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> but. yeah. I think that's so, such an important like highlight of most of those things you said are so important and they get left out of the equation often for most individuals when they're making the goals, the underlying intentions mm-hmm. and, um, I like as you're kind of listing all of the self sabotages. I was like, I feel called out. I feel attacked. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> all about me, you know. But then, you know, I I have done a lot of therapy the last couple of years, and so in my brain, as you're talking, I'm thinking like, oh yeah, there's this point where I felt like, you know, I undid all of my goals because I needed to feel accepted, and then I go back to, oh, this is, oh, this is why, like, why I needed to feel accepted mm-hmm. and. And I'll admit, I've basically had, if you could do a long list of types of disordered eating, I've been through all of them. And it's not till really doing that deep self-work that's taken years. Mm -hmm. Can I take some of the shame that I put on myself for those choices and the coping mechanism the only coping mechanism I knew how, right. But I've, I'm, you know, learning and, and with other addiction, it's constantly reminded to people as they're healing or they're going through that journey, like take the shame out of it. Let's get to your why, mm-hmm. you know, but food addiction or obesity, there's so much shame around it and yeah. you're bad. Like the, that's what shame is, is you're not good enough. You're bad. You're doing wrong. And that's not it at all. And, and, but we all want those positive benefits that you're talking about, that your clients come with. Like, I want to feel good. I want to feel happy. I want to run with my kids. I want to, I remember one of my little goals when I was like, I gotta, I gotta lose weight after having kids was that like my pants would keep falling off and like all sorts of skin would like just keep coming out of my clothes, you know? (laughs) And I was like, I just don't want to be selling crack all the time. (laughs) 
want to feel comfortable in my clothes and, and, and I want to not want to nap half the yeah. day. And, you know, so I did, yeah, this, the self-acceptance and just the, the giving yourself a little bit of mercy as you dig through some of the hard, ugly things of your emotions and, and the driving force to our choices, I just mm-hmm. think is so great and teaching people that mindfulness. Cause I feel like it's a lost art and it sounds so hippy dippy of like, Oh, you need, you need to go meditate. Mm-hmm. Like, like, no, <laughs> it's a, it's a biblical art. Like it's been around since the beginning of time and we've just gotten so busy. We've lost it. Yeah. Yeah. Well, and so many of those things, like you know, learning stress management, learning how to process emotions in a way that's really healthy. Those are the things that are going to create long-term like habit change, right? Like, mm-hmm. you know, we, like, I like to think of developing new habits as like a rocket ship, right? Like getting a new habit off the ground, like it requires so, like you think about a rocket ship, how much fuel is required to escape the gravitational pull of the earth. Mm -hmm. It is so much fuel. And most of us are perpetually stuck in that, like, try so hard phase. We never get to enjoy that phase of habit change where like you are just orbiting around the earth using hardly any fuel at all. Right. Mm -hmm. Because we just like, cannot, um, get past the part that just feels so hard all the time. Yeah. And so, you know, the goal is always to like get to that stage where things are just easier. Um, and it's, it's because it's just who you are now. Right. And you just don't have to think so hard and work so hard, um, to develop like these new habits, whatever they are, uh, because it's just who you've become. So I think, as we've been talking, I think one of those things that uses up a lot of our energy that um, prevents us from orbiting, as as you mentioned, is self-sabotage. And so what are some ways that you suggest, Rebecca, for people to manage uh, self-sabotage when they start to acknowledge it sneaking into their lives? Because something that I noticed is as you were going through the list of what it looks like, I was like, oh, like that's kind of subconscious. There's definitely some things where it's like, maybe you're not consciously making that decision. Um, I feel like with some of them, they are a conscious decision, like maybe numbing and soothing, but still there's this underlying subconscious as we work through our emotions and issues and how that manifests in our bodies. But, um, what are ways that you would suggest for us to manage that? Yeah. So, um, one of the things that's helpful is like, if you, I a lot of times I don't actually notice sabotage until after the fact. Mm -hmm. However, occasionally, like I will recognize myself um, self-sabotaging like while it's happening, right? And taking a moment to pause and actually say like to yourself, even sometimes out loud, like this is self-sabotage, like calling it out for what it is Mm -hmm. gives you a chance to make a different choice. Right. So like, if you recognize it in the moment, calling it out for what it is right then, if you recognize it after the fact, still call it out like, oh, that was sabotage. And then figure out like, you know, how could I have handled that situation in a way that would have been in alignment with my goals for myself 
and you know, like the situation of the party, um, of the church activity, you know, me figuring out later, like, oh, you know what, I could have verbally expressed my gratitude to her. I could have taken a plate of dessert home and eaten it when I was actually like wanting it. I could have sent her a thank you note or a thank you text afterwards. I could have stayed and helped her clean up. I could have showed her love and appreciation for her efforts a million different ways. Mm -hmm. Um, and so actually thinking through, like, how could I have handled this so that I could have, you know, fulfilled my need to please my friend and show her my love and appreciation or to um, do the thing that I feel like is so suddenly so urgent, mm -hmm. um, you know, because sometimes like sabotage shows up because we're too busy or something's more important. Um, how can I reward my positive behavior with a behavior that's actually constructive, right? Mm -hmm. um, you can get really curious about it. Like, why did this happen? Was this self-sabotage? What type of sabotage was it? How can I do better the next time? I think oftentimes, sometimes sabotage can actually come from also just either like a lack of true desire, like like you have this goal for yourself, not because you actually want it for yourself, because you feel like you should want it for yourself. And then sometimes it can also come from a lack of actual belief in your ability hmm. to accomplish the goal. So I think stepping back too and, and reassessing, like, do I actually want this for myself? Do I like want to lose 10 pounds because I want to feel like how I imagine I'll feel in my body if I start engaging in healthier behaviors, if I clean up my nutrition, if I start exercising regularly, like, is it about being the type of person who prioritizes their health? Is it about how I want to feel? Or is it because I just feel pressure, external pressure to be 10 pounds thinner? Mm. Like, you know, figuring out like, do I actually want this for myself? Or is it something, is it, is it a cultural pressure, an external pressure, something I feel like I should be doing? is an important thing to establish. And then it's like, you can just let it go, right? You can just decide, well, this isn't important to me and let it go. Or if you don't actually believe that you can do the thing, then it's about, it's also about kind of figuring out something that you can believe in. Like, let's say I have a, it's so easy to talk about weight loss. So I'm trying to think of like a different example. Let's say that I have a client who is, has been um, given a difficult medical diagnosis that um, he or she has to make a bunch of lifestyle changes. They're going to have to like stop eating all their favorite foods. And they don't genuinely have a belief that they can live a happy and fulfilled life without all the salty, fatty foods and all the alcohol that they love to indulge what's in all the, the time. point of living if I can't have the things that right? bring me joy <laughs> yeah right so then we start to kind of like break that down into like um okay like you don't have enough confidence in your ability to be happy with this like kind of end goal that, that your doctor says you should try and achieve mm -hmm. um do you feel like, you know, like, do you feel like you could create one that we could come up with one meal that would meet your doctor's requirements and feed your soul in the way that you are mm -hmm. longing for? Do you have the belief that you can create one meal? 
And then we expand that to like, okay, we did it. We created one meal that like was fed your soul and your body in the way that you needed it to. So now let's come up with like snacks and then let's come up with like breakfast. You know, like we just sort of like size it down, teeny, 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 tiny clients who have bigger weight loss. It's like, okay, 40 pounds sounds super daunting. How about let's just, do you believe you can lose one pound? Mm-hmm. Like, yeah, I've lost one pound a million times. Okay. So let's start there. And then um, building that belief and confidence in themselves is really helpful too. So sometimes a sabotage, it really takes like zooming all the way back mm-hmm. and really looking at like foundationally, like what do I actually want for myself? And what do I actually believe that is possible for myself? And then you have to deal with those issues before you can even start to tackle the, um, the other ways that sabotage can kind of show up for you, right? There's a lot that we can unpack in coaching. <laughs> There's a lot mm-hmm. that we need to unpack sometimes yeah. in health coaching. Yeah. And you probably need to get a life coaching license too. Just do it all together. <laughs> I know, right? We can just... <laughs> Yeah. It's so funny. As you were talking about like self-sabotaging outside of weight, like I was thinking, okay, what are some of my goals that I have been self-sabotaging? And one of my fitness goals, I I've tried to kind of pull myself away from weight loss or, and size and things like that. And I was like, I just want to do one real pull-up, like real pull-up so that if I'm hanging (laughs) off the side of a cliff, I can pull myself up that edge (laughs) of that cliff. And it's, that was my like one year goal. And I have limited myself so much. Like I'll do like the assisted ones. And, mm-hmm. but then I'm like, oh, people <laughs> look at me when I'm on it and they're judging me and then like hands get rough. And so all these funny little things that I've taken away from, like, it's one pull up Kara, <laughs> you can do it. <laughs> well, and that's where like, that mindset comes in, right? Like we tell ourselves stories about our situation all the time that just aren't helpful, right? Like, you know, you're making up all these stories in your head about what other people are thinking without any idea if any of it is actually true. And like, it's not your job to manage how they feel about whatever it is you're doing. It's so true. It's so funny. I had this girl walk up to me. I was doing like hip thrusts like mm-hmm. um off of the edge of a, a weight um table thing oh my god you know what I'm talking about those things yeah. anyways so I was I was doing it and I wanted to feel a little bit of um using my calf so after I did it I lifted my heels a little bit and kind of flexed my feet and she came over and she gets in my face. She's like, I just wanted you to know you're doing it wrong and you're going to blow out your knees. <laughs> and I, she was like, let you really need to do it this way. Da, da, da. And all these people started like looking at me, like the trainers were looking, she was not a trainer. And I wanted to get in her face, be like, look at these glutes. I got 30 pounds more <laughs> glute muscle than you do. Don't tell me how to do like. <laughs> But I literally haven't done one since, since she um, came up to me and I like, she, she's a, like a, just a person. Like she, I shouldn't be intimidated of her, but I let her opinion of me limit me. And I literally like, don't even go over there anymore just in case she's yeah. there or just in case someone heard her that said that to me. Isn't that just crazy? 
It's so common. It's so common. One of the things that I'll do with my clients is we'll come up with like a little mantra, just like a little saying, a short little sentence that they can repeat to themselves in situations like this, where they feel themselves like getting stuck in their head. And one of my favorites for myself is like, don't think, just do like quit mm-hmm. thinking about it, Rebecca. Like, you're not helping yourself out by like overthinking, just do. And so, um, you know, that's like, you usually need to next, next time do it. Like, don't think, just do, don't, th- don't think, just do yeah. over and over and over again. I think it'll be super helpful. Um, one of the things that I was just thinking about as, as we've had this conversation is that I just go back to your, the name of your organization, which is shift for health. And I think a lot of the times we want these big earthquakes of change, but what will have the most impact is just a shift, a shift in your mindset, a shift in a goal. So hopefully as we've had this conversation, I know for me personally, I'm thinking a lot about the goals that I have, the big picture, why, of why I have that, what is my motivating factor? Is it external? Is it internal? And what are ways that I can shift my mindset to put me in a healthier space and make changes that will be more sustainable? This has been really enlightening for me. So thank you so much, Rebecca, for for coming on and, sh- and sharing all this knowledge. I think that we've benefited and I know a lot of our listeners will also benefit from it. Thank you. It is so fun for me to talk about. Clearly, I love geeking out about it. <laughs> so no, I think it's, um, it's just a message that I think is um, really healthy, really constructive, really impactful and powerful. And it's really different than what's, um, a lot of people are putting out there, uh, which is why I feel so like it's so important mm-hmm. um, because habit change and feeling like strong and empowered in our bodies uh, can be a process that doesn't have to involve like self-loathing or guilt and shame. And, you know, it, it can be something that's just really powerful and really constructive. Um, I just wish more people had kind of the skill sets to engage in this process, like with themselves or with a friend. Mm-hmm. Well, hopefully by sharing your message, it will empower the women who are listening to this or men to find those conversation partners, those accountability partners so that they can start having these conversations mm-hmm. and make the lasting changes in their lives. And And so thank you for sharing this message of positivity and hope and, and, um, whole health, health. yeah, (laughs) yeah, just like you, we're so focused on, you know, aesthetics and outward health. And it's like, no, you need to nurture your soul, your, and Mm -hmm. your body and your mind all at the same time through whole nutrition, you know, and I, we, as a society, I think that we are literally malnourished. Like we're not getting enough of the core micronutrients that we need. And I think that your model just is, gets down to that micronutrient and then grows like through our souls and then whole body and the experience that we're living and the experience that 
our families have with us and that Mm -hmm. creating connection. That was one of the points I, while you were talking, our underlying, the underlying reason or, or motivation is sometimes our desire for connection. Mm -hmm. And so sometimes we self-sabotage because Mm -hmm. we're lacking that other, that, that connection, that human connection with other people, or we're desiring it and we're not getting it. So we're going to look for it somewhere else. Um, so yeah, I just, I really love that whole health bottle. I think that's wonderful. Thank you. Now we're going to transition to everyone's favorite segment and portion of our episode. This came out of the mouth of my babe. Kara, do you want to go first? Sure. Okay. Since we're talking food today, (laughs) um, the other day, I think it was on Sunday, Gavin, my oldest son. So I have, I have twins also, but they're boy, girl twins. Um, and yeah, we were, we talked about multiples and craziness earlier before we started recording, but anyways, so my, uh, son, Gavin, he is also on the spectrum, but he's trying to get more independent, especially with food, because he is very impulsive and compulsive with food. So he's helped himself and made himself some toast (laughs) and I had this cute little jar of honey with like a little honey stick, like the little honey cone stick. That's really cute. It was a gift from a party, but he saw it on the counter and he made himself some honey toast. And he's like, mom, I made myself some honey toast. I am a masterpiece. (laughs) (laughs) You are a masterpiece, Gavin. A A pure gem. I love him. And he repeated it like six times throughout the day. I am a masterpiece. (laughs) Love that. Precious. Rebecca, do you have a story that came out of the mouth of your, one of your four babe boys? Yes. So this is out of the mouth of my baby, my youngest, who was a terror of a toddler. (laughs) Like we had three boys and I was like, what could God throw at us? that we haven't already seen like we can totally have a fourth baby and God was listening and he sent us my youngest (laughs) so he was 18 months old he was a very early talker and he was sitting on my lap facing me and he looked at me and he said I love you mommy and I was like oh my gosh my like devil child and I are having like this beautiful moment (laughs) where he telling me he loves me for the first time. It was just so sweet. And so I said, oh, I love you too. And this look of anger just flashes over his face and he screams, no, my, I love you. And then he slapped me across the face. (laughs) Oh, Oh so apparently he, you know, I love you was possessive. It was like, he, he held the love. I was not allowed to feel the love <laughs> that is so funny oh my gosh and this what an emotional whiplash like know, right? <laughs> oh, uh, and now I'm angry at you a little bit like how dare you oh that is just so no, thankfully he has grown into an incredible child so oh, oh man for all those parents out there with terrible toddlers there is hope trust me <laughs> 
Yeah. Those like younger years are absolutely insane. <laughs> but now I have three who are like teenagers or young adults and they're so easy. So oh, you just so pay up front. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. I mean, I'm, if my son that is on the spectrum, he's done a lot of ABA therapy. So mm-hmm. most of the time he's my most well-behaved child, which is yeah. awesome. Like he's the one that's like, how was your day, mom? Oh, how did you feel about that? You know, it's nice to meet you. Yes. So yes, ma'am. Like my other kids are like, mm, no, <laughs> <laughs> love him. Okay. I'll share mine. So, um, Sawyer's been sick the last couple of days, so it's been mm-hmm. a real bummer, but, uh, we took her to the urgent care today and they said that they wanted to do some blood work and get a urine sample and all that. So once they said that, I was like, oh boy, this is going to be a terrible appointment. And I was by myself. My husband was at work. Um, so they did the blood work first and she was a champ. Didn't even like cry, didn't wince, like nothing. Uh, when they poked her, I know it was awesome. And they wrapped this like pink bandage around her arm and after they were done and had wrapped her up, she kind of looks at the arm and just kind of stares at it and says, what that What's that? And then she opens, like lifts up her other arm and goes other arm. Um, <laughs> <laughs> like she wanted, I need to, yeah, it's a little <laughs> offsided, uh, but yeah, no, she did great. And the nurses were all very impressed. They were like, Oh, I'm going to write this in my journal. She was so good when they were trying to do the uh, catheter didn't go so well, but they oh. ended up, uh, nixing that so that was good we got a sample another way I was like ring out her diaper like this <laughs> is catheter on a baby that's awake are you kidding me no yeah. I do not have a death wish yeah oh my gosh <laughs> no it worked out and she's on the mend so things oh, are good bless her. Yeah. Oh, she's so cute I know. Miss her cheeks I I know. oh Well, thanks so much, Rebecca, for joining us on this episode. It was a really enlightening conversation about health and wellness and how we can uh, make shifts and in our mindset to ultimately help us in our long-term health journeys. But for those of you that would like to learn more about Rebecca and shift for health, um, like Kara mentioned at the beginning, we'll post all this in our show notes, but you can visit their website, which is www.shiftforhealth.com. You can follow them on Instagram um, at shift for health, or if you would like more information about coaching um, and becoming a client, feel free to email them at info at shiftforhealth.com. Thanks so much for joining us, babes. And we hope to hear from you next week. Bye.